This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Season 2, Episode 19, The Conspiracy Theories Around COVID-19. The COVID-19 pandemic has spawned more than its fair share of conspiracy theories, which we will explore in this podcast. But before we move on to COVID-19, let's take a look at conspiracy theories in general in American history. Are they on the rise? Have they gone mainstream? And if so, why? First, what is a conspiracy? What is the definition? It is a belief that some covert, powerful, influential, and secretive organization is responsible for an event. And the event is often of great history-making proportions. For instance, the assassination of President Kennedy arguably changed the course of history for the second half of the 20th century. The 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Towers, again, arguably changed the course of American foreign policy at the beginning of the 21st century. And even the 1969 manned landing on the moon. In each of those cases, the outcome was so shocking and out of all proportion to the profile of the perpetrator that it demanded a superhuman and impossible effort. Take the JFK assassination as a case in point. The accused assassin was a 24-year-old former Marine who was a bad shot. Yet, he was able to get off three rounds from a World War II Italian mail-order rifle that cost 1995 and shot the president and did that all in the space of six seconds. He left no fingerprints on the rifle he, had, he made no confession, there were no witnesses, and he never expressed any motive. He, again, he was reputed to be a poor shot, yet his three shots, one killed the president and one seriously wounded the governor of Texas. The Zapruder film shows the president's head jerked to the left. How could this high school dropout, kill the president, and killing the most powerful man on earth, and it was out of all proportion to what Oswald had accomplished in his first 24 years of life. He was effectively a loser. He was a fantasist. He had very little future. He couldn't even drive a car. He didn't even know how to drive a car. 57 years after the 1963 assassination, the majority of Americans still believe he was not the sole assassin and that the president died as a result of a conspiracy in all likelihood led by the CIA. The September 11th, 2001 attacks on the World Trade Center could not have possibly been accomplished by 19 ill-trained young Saudis, according to the conspiracy theories. 
even though the pictures of two passenger jets crashing into each tower are not in dispute, the conspiracist argued that it was an inside job from the get-go and that the Twin Towers collapsed as a result of detonations of high explosives which had been planted in both towers by U.S. government agents. And once the planes had crashed into the towers, those hidden explosives were detonated, bringing down the towers. And then, of course, even Neil Armstrong's historic steps on the surface of the moon, one small step for a man, one giant leap for a mankind, even those historic steps on another world in July of 1969 are disputed by the conspiracy theorist. Never happened, according to them. The TV footage of Armstrong on the surface of the moon was faked, and the pictures were taken on a Hollywood backlot, if you would believe the conspiracy theories. And of course, the dreadful school shooting tragedy at Sandy Hook, Connecticut, was a government-run massacre set up to justify stricter gun controls on the American people. Alex Jones of InfoWars has talked about that conspiracy, and he was actually interviewed by Joe Rogan. Now, Joe Rogan has a terrific interview program, a podcast format, and Joe Rogan interviewed Alex. They talked about the Sandy Hook story and the the conspiracy theory. Now, Joe is a very nice guy, but Joe essentially lets his interviewees talk. And Joe, at heart, is a comedian, and he didn't really challenge Alex Jones. But I'll leave it to you to listen to that interview yourself on the Joe Rogan experience. But conspiracy theories are not new to America's consciousness. Going back to our earliest history, Samuel Adams, who was a cousin of John Adams, one of our early presidents, was a Revolutionary War pamphleteer in the 1770s. This is before the War of Independence. And effectively, what those pamphlets did, the pamphlets essentially included the they included information, they, include, they were conspiracy theories. And uh, Samuel Adams used to write these pamphlets. He would distribute them for free to the public. And he got a bee in his bonnet about the British Colonial Stamp Act, whereby every piece of paper, newspaper, letter, document had to pay a tax. It was called a stamp tax. And he... In his pamphlets, he wrote about this Stamp Act as being as undermining the independence of the colonists and so on and so forth. And he used that conspiracy theory, didn't use that term, but he used his pamphlet and an attack on the Stamp Act and really blowing it out of all proportion to foment anger and resentment and to caused revolutionary fervor among the colonists to stir up anger against the British. 
And of course, he was successful. So there are several examples of conspiracy theories that we've all heard of and that are still making the rounds, and some of them have become urban legends. When we as a society feel threatened to our core and the perpetrator of that threatening act achieves such a spectacular and heinous result, we're liable to look for a bigger and more sinister cause rather than a 24-year-old Lee Harvey Oswald with his five o'clock shadow and a dirty t-shirt or the 19 young Saudi extremist who came to the United States to learn how to fly planes and then precisely crashed them into the, the World Trade Towers, or the goofy, ill-adjusted teenager who stole his parents' guns to slaughter innocent toddlers. We just, it's very hard to accept that such inconsequential losers can achieve such spectacular results and change the course of history. And those three examples I put on the table for you as examples of the disproportionality between who the perpetrator was, what they achieved, poor information afterwards in the investigation of those crimes, which then led to the conspiracy theories that we're all familiar with. A conspiracy theory gives you a chance to blame someone else. And it's all about blame. It gives you a chance to blame someone else or a group which is both shadowy and or secretive, such as the deep state, which we currently hear about all the time, or the trilateral commission, or an elitist political class. And of course, the elitist political class in this country changes hands every four or eight years. Um, sometimes it's the Democrats who are the elitist political class. And when they're out of government and the Republicans are in government, the Republicans are the elitist political class. Remember the Zika virus of a few years ago? It was a mosquito-borne virus which produced horrendous birth defects and there was no known cure nor medications for it. When people are confronted by an existential threat, and that's what the Zika virus was, and they lack information about that existential threat, and there are no cures or solutions to it, conspiracy theories abound. But the minute you have reliable data to explain the threat from believable sources, and believable sources are very important, but if you have reliable data from believable sources, you can ask informed questions, you can get answers, and then when you have those answers, you can weigh the answers and evaluate the answers against the evidence. But if the source of the information is trustworthy, and unfortunately here in the United States, post the Vietnam war era of the 1960s and 1970s, 
the trust that the American people used to have in the U.S. government has been severely eroded so that information which we get from our government, whether it's at the local, state, or especially federal level, is often regarded very skeptically. And particularly when the government has been known to have lied, as they did in the case of the Vietnam War. Um, and especially when a government has a very large vested interest in hiding the truth, again, conspiracy theories will come out under those circumstances. All of that history and a predisposition to disseminate misinformation through social media came together in the perfect storm of the COVID-19 pandemic. Conspiracy theories actually behave like viruses. They go viral on social media and the internet. And the spread is as fast or even faster than the coronavirus itself. Here are a number of conspiracy theories around COVID-19. And they were pulled together by Cornell University's Alliance for Science. The first one is that 5G technology causes COVID-19. Now, 5G technology, of course, the Chinese do have a technological advantage in 5G technology. But in any case, uh, this theory of 5G technology spreading the coronavirus has gained some traction in the United Kingdom. Now, a virus cannot spread, cannot be spread through an electromagnetic spectrum. I am not a scientist, but my basic understanding of science leads me to believe that spreading a virus through an electromagnetic spectrum just could not happen. But that doesn't really seem to impact the flourishing of this uh, conspiracy theory about 5G technology. The World Health Organization, the WHO, has tried to debunk the theory, but unfortunately, the WHO, when we need the most during this pandemic, they have lost all credibility issue, all credibility as a result of the way they handled the, pa the pandemic in the first place in China. Second theory is that Bill Gates, who in fact is a pandemic expert and a philanthropist, um, he's come under attack for his efforts to find and develop a vaccine. Now, Bill Gates, of course, made many billions of dollars in founding his company, his software company, Microsoft. He's been very successful. He's moved away from the company. He's become a very prominent philanthropist, and he's become quite an expert in the field of pandemics. In fact, he was interviewed recently and said that he, uh, he, he was sorry that he felt somewhat guilty that, uh, that the pandemic, that he wasn't able to do more to stop the pandemic in its tracks. Um, with his great wealth and his knowledge about pandemics because he's been, he's been studying pandemics and trying to prepare for pandemics for quite a number of years now. Um, I have the utmost respect for him and particularly the way he's using his wealth for the greater good. But in any case, 
Um, he is under attack from conspiracy theorists who argue that he has a nefarious plan to infect all of us, inject all of us rather, with microchips for commercial gain once he does discover or one of his companies discovers the vaccine to conquer COVID-19. Again, no good deed goes unpunished. And that seems to be the case with this conspiracy theory about Bill Gates. One of the other aspects of this Bill Gates conspiracy theory is the fact that the anti-vax movement, uh, which has always been very skeptical of vaccination, generally because of the perceived link, unproven, between vaccination, childhood vaccination, and autism. So the anti-vax movement has also provided some traction to the, um, to the conspiracy theorist that Bill Gates has a nefarious plan to inject us all with microchips once he's actually found a virus to conquer the, the COVID-19. Another theory is that the virus escaped from a Chinese virology lab. Now, now this theory actually has some credibility. Wuhan, China, which of course is the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak, is a city of 8 million people. And it's also the home to two virology labs. And those virology labs are, it's not like they're way out, far out in the country outside Wuhan. They're within the city limits of Wuhan. And some very fundamental and high risk research is done in those two virology labs. Well, the conspiracy theory goes that a, the virus escaped from one or both of those virology labs. Now, again, to add some credence to that theory, the US State Department two years ago cited both labs for sloppy security procedures, dangerous research practices, and poorly developed protocols for dealing with high-risk viral examinations and research. Air vents, drains, and sewers were cited as being of poor quality. And in all likelihood, infected bats could have escaped and infected the general population. Interestingly, Dean Kuntz, the uh, thriller writer, in a book called In the, the Eyes of Darkness, written in 1981, talked about a Chinese bioweapon, and it was called the Wuhan 400. Now, conspiracy theorists have cited that book written 39 years ago, and the fact that he re related, he called it the Wuhan 400, virus. Um, they've said that this was, this predicted that he was kind of uh, on the inside of this nefarious plan by the Chinese to infect the world to, uh, with, with a virus. That appears to be uh, completely coincidental, but in any case, I just wanted to mention that point. 
Another conspiracy theory is that COVID-19 was created as a biological weapon. Three in 10 Americans believe it was man-made, according to Pew Research. And of that 30%, 23% believe that it was intentionally made as a biological weapon. And 6% say that it was made by accident. But thanks to gene sequencing, we now know that this coronavirus has natural origins and it actually originated in bats and that it was not in the, it was not uh, created man-made. The Chinese government has circulated its own conspiracy theory to the effect that the U.S. military created the virus and then transported it and planted it in the Wuhan region to blame the innocent Chinese. Well, that seems especially far-fetched, but in any case, I guess in the realm of conspiracy theories, anything goes. But that one in particular, saying that it was a U.S. military invention and it was planted by the U.S. military in Wuhan to blame the Chinese. Um, even in the field of conspiracy theory, that one seems to be far-fetched. Another conspiracy theory is that GMOs, genetically modified organisms, are to blame. This theory came out of Italy, and of course Italy was ground zero for the European wave of coronavirus, and that GMOs, uh, cause genetic pollution, and the genetic pollution permitted the coronavirus to expand and to propagate, and, uh, and again, seems to be somewhat far-fetched that these GMOs, which are essentially in agriculture and crops, could have jumped species and moved from crops into a virus, and then the virus jumped species into animals and people. Um, again, that's uh, in this in this field. You you've got to take what you take. Another theory is that COVID nineteen doesn't exist. The Infowars program has argued that COVID nineteen is a plot to take away our freedoms during the confinement and shutdown and lockdowns. And that the pandemic is being manipulated by the deep state, I'll use that term again, and or that Big Pharma is behind the COVID-19 pandemic. On that score of Big Pharma being behind it, the theory there is that Big Pharma stands to make billions and billions of dollars in profits from the new vaccines, which will come as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. I suppose that in the realm of um, the old saying, never let a crisis go to waste, uh, perhaps that's where Big Pharma might come in. But again, that seems, that seems a, a bit of a stretch. Finally, the COVID-19 numbers have been grossly 
inflated. And that is true. That is true. Um, COVID-19 numbers before the pandemic really took hold and began to unfold. The projected mortality rates and projected infection rates that were coming out of the CDC were off the charts. We were talking about hundreds of thousands, maybe even up to 2 million possible fatalities. That never came to pass. So that particular conspiracy theory that COVID-19 numbers were grossly inflated, that appears to be true and uh, seems to seems to warrant further attention. All of the COVID-19 conspiracy theories have been enumerated by Cornell University's Alliance for Science. And again, you have to ask the question in Latin, cui bono? Who benefits? Who benefits from these conspiracy theories? As I said, some of the underlying assumptions in the conspiracy theories that I just outlined for you, there are kernels of truth in them. And generally speaking, most conspiracy theories have one or two kernels of truth at their core. It is the outer layers on top of those kernels that as they become thicker and farther removed from the kernel of truth at the core, then the overall theory becomes more outlandish as you move away from the core. Now, I just want to cite one data point which has not been enumerated by Cornell, but I think it's something that bears consideration. At the time that the pandemic was in full swing in China, and this would have been in late December, early January, China suspended all domestic air travel. So you were not able to take a domestic flight in China to travel anywhere in the country. And the idea was this would slow down and isolate the advancement of the virus to certain regions, the Wuhan region, for instance, and that ideally the authorities, the epidemiologists could isolate the uh the pandemic in that region, the virus in that region. However, they permitted the international flights to continue. All international flights continued. And when the United States suspended direct flights from China on February 2nd, the Chinese strongly, adamantly objected to that. And when the Europeans flirted with the idea of shutting down the flights, the Chinese strenuously objected to it, and the Europeans backed off. So the Europeans continued to permit these flights from China to come directly into Europe. Many of those passengers were infected and brought the coronavirus with them. And in particular, and that, of course, was the cause of Italy's huge numbers of coronavirus infections and fatalities. There were daily nonstop flights from Wuhan to Milan. There is a population of about 300,000 Chinese, ethnic Chinese in Italy who are trying to revive the textile industry in Italy. Wuhan is a big center of textiles in China. And so there were direct flights, nonstop flights between Wuhan and Milan bringing in hundreds, if not thousands, of travelers from Wuhan, many of whom were infected, and that then seeded the coronavirus in, the, uh, in Italy 
And then, of course, it expanded. The Chinese flights continued all throughout Europe. For China to have banned domestic flights and not to have banned international flights calls into question, in my view, and this isn't a conspiracy theory, it calls into question their good intention and their uh, questionable intentions. It was almost as though they were trying to ensure that the rest of the world was going to be seeded with this virus so that as the Chinese economy was falling behind and the Chinese knew what a devastating impact the pandemic was having in China, perhaps they didn't want to see the rest of the world in Europe in particular escape the ravages, the economic ravages of a pandemic. Again, uh, China has a lot to answer for with that particular move to not ban international flights but they did ban domestic flights. That was a very bad move on their part, which does require explanation. There are a couple of academics which are cited in the conspiracy theory literature. One is Joe Usinski. He's associate professor of political science at the University of Miami in Florida. And Dan Jolly at the Northumbria University in Newcastle, England. Professor Jolly cites the importance of confirmation bias in the field of conspiracy theory, especially if you wrongly or selectively hear facts that confirm what you already believe. For instance, conspiracists who doubt that the COVID-19 pandemic was animal-based tend to seek out others who believe, as they believe, that it was not animal-based. And they seek out like-minded people uh, who confirm their bias. And those people effectively provide a comfortable echo chamber of their own beliefs. Of course, politicians have been comfortable with uh, conspiracy theories for, for decades. Hillary Clinton, for instance, back in the 1990s, cited the vast right-wing conspiracy against her husband as a conspiracy theory when he was under challenge by his political opponents. President Trump's rallies used to feature placards from a conspiracy theory group called QAnon. And then, very interestingly, Senator Tom Cotton a senator from Arkansas, has been in the forefront with and giving some credence to some of these theories, at least cautiously and carefully, somewhat tepidly. Um, he wrote an opinion piece for the Wall Street Journal recently in which he referenced the Wuhan virology labs, which we referred to earlier in this podcast, and that the virus may well have escaped from those labs. So Senator Cotton, I think, has been a level and a sane head, but he has made comments that seem to bear out some of these conspiracy theories. But his statements seem to be grounded in fact. 
And then, of course, speaking of grounded in fact, because it's not, uh, you have TV personalities like Rachel Maddow on MSNBC, who's been hawking uh, Russian collusion conspiracy theories for for years, and uh, most of which have been debunked. All of that said about conspiracy theories, there are conspiracy theories that began as conspiracy theories, but have been proven to be true. Watergate, for instance, began as a conspiracy theory and was poo-pooed, at least initially. However, when President Nixon's secret tapes were divulged, they were in fact, the uh, all of the conspiracy theory was in fact proven to be factual. That in fact, so much of what had been theorized and had been conjectured as a conspiracy theory was proved to be factual. So Watergate was a case where what was a conspiracy theory was proved to be true. The Armenian genocide also, still to this day by the Turkish government, is challenged as a conspiracy theory. But as greater historical research has been done, 1.5 million people appear to have perished, largely Armenians, but other minorities in Turkey, appear to have perished in the 1919-1920. Uh, and again, what was seen as a conspiracy theory is now being taken, has now been proven as historic fact. Big Tobacco, back in the early 1950s, was fully aware of the statistical ties between cigarettes and lung cancer. And for the longest time throughout the 1950s and 1960s, they continued advertising and aggressively marketing their cigarettes. When they knew the statistical ties between cigarettes and lung cancers from the early 1950s. So there again, we have an example of a conspiracy theory that was proven to be fact. The Gulf of Tonkin attack on the U.S. Navy in August 1964, which justified a step up in the Vietnam War, was in fact proven to be a hoax, just as was argued by opponents at the time. Government mind control, LSD experimentation, that in fact did happen. The program was called the MK Ultra Plan. The Tuskegee syphilis testing on black men, that occurred in the 1940s and 1950s. Again, it was at the time it was posited as a conspiracy theory. It was factual. And in fact, the survivors of those syphilis tests were in fact apologized to and received compensation from the US government. John Lennon was in fact surveilled by the FBI. That was a big conspiracy theory at the time. Proved to be the case, proved to be factual. Edith Wilson, when her husband Woodrow Wilson had suffered a debilitating stroke, the conspiracy theory was that she was acting as the de facto president of the United States after her husband had suffered a devastating stroke. Well, again, the historic record proved that to be the case. She was acting as the president of the United States, albeit very surreptitiously and unconstitutionally. So I cite that, I cite those examples of conspiracy theories on a host of issues which in the fullness of time and as history has been 
uncovered, what began as conspiracy theories were proven to be true. So not all conspiracy theories can be dismissed as the workings of extreme minds. My sources for today's podcast include Cornell University's Alliance for Science, University of Miami and Northumbria University, the British Foreign Policy Group, CNBC, the Wall Street Journal, and The Guardian. This has been your host, Jim Herlihy, for the San Francisco Experience, reporting from America's favorite city, San Francisco.